Welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I am sitting in the fancy Feral Audio Recording Studios with a comedian, an improviser, a podcaster, an actor, and uh, I would say maybe even a man about town, Drew Drogi. Hi. I'm happy to be a man about town. I was hoping that that's that a, would be the case. That's a really great title. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a heavy crown to wear, but I'll but I'll put it on. I honestly wanted for a long time for someone to call me a man about town, and then in a review somebody just did, and I was like, oh, oh. my secret desire is that like an ombudsman? Do you know what that is? And, uh, People no. go like an ombudsman. I think that's kind of what that is. I could be totally wrong. I don't have my brain with me, but I don't know. I think that's kind of what that is. Like, you're just, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just that you're sort of social. I heard it when I was oh, very yeah. young on the uh, old Shadow radio show, because mm. they described the Shadow's alter ego, Lamont Cranston, as a man about a town. A man about town. And it just sounded very fancy and important. Yes, and I yes. Thought, that means you've made it if you're a man about town. <laughs> or maybe you're deeply lonely. <laughs> just a man wandering the town Wandering alone. around with no home or base <laughs> or anything. I don't know. A man about a town with all of his <laughs> Sessions with him in a little bag, man about town. In a bindle. Yeah, I meant it in a positive way for you. Oh, though, wow, Drew. thank you, thank you. So uh, thank you so much for doing this. Can you tell thank people- Thank you for having me. Yeah, can you tell people a little bit about who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, well, I have a, also have a podcast on Feral, which you have been on, yeah. and you were wonderful on. It's called Minor Revelations. So I do that, and um, yes, I do a lot of- shows in LA and and uh, I was recently doing uh, my solo show in New York so I've been kind of going back and forth between New York and LA doing a lot of live theater and I do comedy and like oh I'm an actor and I'm so bored with myself <laughs> I don't know I but yeah 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 what um, was your show in New York? I remember seeing a million Twitter raves about it. I was doing a play that I wrote called Bright Colors and Bold Patterns which is um I was playing a character who is like sort of on the verge of a a, a small breakdown okay. um, uh, the night before um, a wedding in Palm Springs? So yeah, so I was doing that. I've done it off and on for a couple years. Okay. So like yeah, I just just did a run in New York and it was a lot of fun. And I'm doing a play right now in L.A. called um, Die Mommy Die, which is a Charles Bush play. If you do you know Charles Bush, are you familiar I don't. with this? Yeah, he's um, incredible. He's this legend uh, who has written plays for a long time where he always basically wrote himself into these plays where he plays the lead actress and it's okay. always like some woman in peril who's some fabulous actress or singer or model or whatever yeah. who uh, and he he's obsessed with these um, films of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s like you know these genre films yeah. and so um, he writes these plays that I guess are parodies but they're they're really way, way more homage because he loves that that period so much. So yeah. I'm doing that. I'm doing one of his plays right now called Die, Mommy, Die, which was a film that he starred in uh, in the lead role in, I think, 2003. Wow. When Jason Priestley and Natasha Lyonne and Francis Conroy, Philip Baker Hall. Anyway, they all did. They were all in the film. So we're doing it um, at the Celebration Theater right now. Awesome. So that's what I'm currently doing. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's delightful uh, for me to hear about someone doing theater stuff because I, I started out doing theater stuff. And oh yeah, I, and I do miss it. So it's it's fun for me to talk to somebody like you who is 
ensconced in L.A. and doing podcasts and all the L.A. stuff, but also know the world of theater. I'm a big believer in it, and I'm and I'm very quick to defend L.A. theater because there's a lot of crap in L.A. theater, but there's also a lot of really great stuff happening as yeah. well. And it's always kind of sort of been my dream, like to have like in L.A. to be able to work and film and TV and do stuff, and then be able to do theater on the side because you do it, it is so much more I mean the role that I'm getting to play in this play is so incredible that you know unless you're a huge star you don't get to do that in, in yeah. film and TV and it's really great when you get to do anything in film and TV but in theater you get like a really great experience and just like the the people you meet and the, just the ensemble of that and like getting together and doing like a two hour play together every night is yeah is unlike when you're, you know, when you're just like kind of popping in and out and like, you know, doing a bit on something and you don't really have that. You don't usually get that kind of camaraderie. So, yeah, that's such a I'm weird a big believer in doing both it, when if and when I can. It's hard because, you know, you know, to negotiate that. And there are a lot of people in L.A. that only do theater that don't do as much, you know, film and TV. And so there's there's kind of a, a, a battle between the two worlds sometimes yeah. over like priorities. Are you considered like uh, a mythical being, like uh, the Griffin that somehow oh. combines theater and comedy in LA? <laughs> I can I consider myself uh, man about town, uh, <laughs> mythical being, God. Uh, what else? No, but it is it is it's odd because there are, I have a lot of friends that like haven't done theater in a long time that maybe have before or whatever. But um, and I get why because it's a lot of time and it's a lot yeah. of energy. But, you know, you have to do some stuff for money and then you do other things for the experience of, you know. Yeah, of feeling of alive. So, yeah. I think that's great background so yeah. people understand a little bit more where you're oh, coming great. from with your obsession. Yes. And your obsession is John Waters. Yes, so much. And um, I, I sort of like Charles Bush because I've known about Charles Bush since I was in high school. I've been obsessed with John Waters since I was – well, John Waters was earlier. I think I – discovered should i just jump right into it yeah yeah Great. yeah exactly that when did you first find john waters um sadly and not nothing wrong with this film but it's just the most obvious of his films and it's the most like basic bitch entry into john waters <laughs> but when i was 11 hairspray came out okay and that was the, and that's obviously his most famous film um, and it's a great, it's a great movie, and um, you know, it, it deserves all the credit that it that it got. And it was so subversive for him to make a PG-rated movie because he was just, you know, known as the Pope of Trash and you know yeah. the King of Filth and whatever other people had called him. So, um, but yeah, that was the first John Waters movie that I saw, and there was just something about it that immediately fit. I mean, um, the, from the second that I saw the opening credits. And, you know, I was like, this person understands me. This is exactly what I want to look, live inside of forever. And there was just something in the the characters. There's so many characters in all of his movies that I just respond to. And, and that way, I mean, I remember first time I saw Hairspray, I, you know, I didn't. I mean, I didn't know much about like, cause it's, you know, you know, the, the, you know, the whole thing it's the, yeah. it's those in all of his movies are in Baltimore, but this is about the Corny Collins show. And, and it's about the, you know, there's the, it's this, it's weekly dance program and uh, the racial uh, tensions that were yeah. happening. Cause it's set in 1963. And um, so, you know, I mean, I knew I had studied that and I knew I was like, you know, but I didn't think you could ever make any of that funny. And I remember thinking it was hilarious. And I remember like walking around screaming, like, you know, like segregation never, integration now, 
from that movie and yeah. not really understanding that that was actually a thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I didn't you thought really like connect. John Waters made that that <laughs> slogan up. Or... I don't know. I mean, I don't think I connected like the reality of what he was actually doing at the time with like the you know the story of that movie. But that but that um, that movie actually made you know all of you know basically like Martin Luther King funny and and, yeah. and and it's such a positive message and it was like so um again i mean growing up in north carolina in a small town I, I mean i grew up in this lovely family but we were very it was very um you know conservative okay. very white very uh presbyterian just wasp you know and there was there was something immediately when I saw Hairspray that I was like, oh, I want to I want to hate white people as much as this movie <laughs> does, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing that like I can you you can argue. I mean, his John Waters m- movies always have this, um, y- you know, he's known for the you know people if they know this stuff they're always like, oh, they're trash, and they love to like celebrate like the filthiest things and like, oh my God, there's a movie where. Divine eats dog shit, and there's a movie where you know um, she's raped by a lobster, and all these things, the the sensational stuff. But which, which yes, all of that, and hooray for all of that. But <laughs> also, like, there's such a humanist quality to his films, and always the good guys win. So, and yeah, the bad guys. Hairspray. Are, are hairspray all, is the perfect example. Are they all example. sort of uplifting? As they hairspray? are. If okay. you look, if you look at them in the certain lens of like the worst people, like suffer like horrible consequences okay. at the end of his films. And he celebrates the freaks. He celebrates the outcasts. He celebrates people who are maligned by society. That's his whole mo. And so they're never mean spirited. Yeah. There's never. There's nothing in a John Waters movie that you can go, oh, that's too, too far for me. Where yeah. there's a lot of films out there that that people compare to a John. The, John Waters gets horribly dragged through so many terrible movies, and they go, that's like a John Waters movie, and it's like absolutely not. Right. No movie is like a John Waters movie unless it's a John Waters movie. Right. So you have to um, look past the shit to the heart. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And his movies absolutely have that. And, you know, Divine and Mink Stoll, especially the two of them are like really great actors and like are really are, are really giving this like committed performance in all of his films. And you watch them again. And I think that's what sets them apart is that they're not. First of all, they weren't trying to make anything campy or trashy. They were, they were coming from a, a place of truth, and, yeah. and it was he, just like know. the aesthetics that he legitimately liked, right? Yes, like he liked exactly. sort of bright colors and bold, shocking moments. Absolutely. Yeah. And he was. I got to work with Mink Stoll um, a few years ago, and um, in a very important film called Eating Out Four. Um, Can you and, remind uh, <laughs> me who I know who divided, but I don't remember who Mink Stoll is Mink like Stoll, visually or she no. it was always um, she's been in all of his films, uh, maybe not his very, very early, earliest ones that you can't even find. But but all of them from Mondo Trasho, which is his first like sort of recognized, um, quote unquote, real film because he was making, you know, shorts and all okay. this kind of stuff. But his first feature length that you can find anywhere is Mondo Trasho. And from then up until now, like she has been in all of his films. Damn. So in Hairspray, she plays um, Corny Collins' assistant. She's okay. she's a blonde. She's very thin, uh, really sharp features. Okay. She always said that she had no idea back in the day, and none of them knew the genius of what was happening. They were just doing things that made them laugh. But okay. she said John always knew. She's like John always knew what he was doing, and we just knew enough to just do what he told us to do. Okay. Um, and so, you know, they were just, they all like, 
went to high school together and like they grew up in Baltimore and they were just making these movies together. They they had no idea that they were going to be these these, you know, cultural phenomenon that like people yeah. still watch and mm. talk about. But the thing that like, you know, if you watch like like these old Andy Warhol movies, they're just terrible. Like they're just, you know, like you can watch them and go or for a certain point or for five or ten minutes and just go, OK, this is kind of garbage or it's, you know, sensational or whatever. But like John Waters, there, there's such a there's such a clear point of view. OK. And all of his films that, they you know, he he knew what he, he knew what he was doing and he was sending up society. Yeah. So obviously, you know, John Waters super well. When you yeah. first saw Hairspray, did you make that like an immediate mission when you were 11 to be like, I'm going to figure out who made this and figure out everything about them? No, I, I kind of had this like journey through high school where I was like getting as much as I could because this was, let's see, this would have been 90s when you we didn't have internet, so I couldn't really find things. But I was, <laughs> um, uh, Cry Baby came out right. and Serial Mom. Uh, Serial Mom came out when I was in high school. And I remember Serial Mom was like my favorite. And it is to this day one of my top 10 of all time favorite movies. Serial Mom? Serial Mom. Okay. And I think that Serial Mom will be studied, you know, if we're still here in 100 years, <laughs> as a blistering indictment and a perfect like time capsule of the 90s because it has so much of what was happening in our culture in the 90s in that film um, with our obsession with celebrity um, it was just after like Amy Fisher and Menendez brothers, OJ, all of that was happening okay. in like 94 when Serial Mom was coming out right. with our and obsession it's... with, with a, with a housewife and like values that like the sweetest suburban mom who's actually killing people. Yeah, it's sort of John Waters vision coming into real life of yes. this mashup of like true horror yes. with the utterly trashy. Completely, completely. And Kathleen Turner gives a truly Oscar-worthy performance in the film. I mean, she really should have been nominated for all the awards that year. <laughs> because, again, she's not playing it for, like, winks and jokes and camps. She is so fully committed to being Beverly Sutphin. <laughs> and there are these moments in it where you're like, she's she's giving the performance of her career. I mean, she's she's great in everything, but she's so incredibly magical in this movie. So those, I had seen those and I was like, and I was, you know, having friends over and I would always make them watch these movies and, you know, and I would be laughing harder than anyone <laughs> all the time and making my poor <laughs> friends sit through Hairspray, Crybaby and Serial Mom. And then I remember finding a catalog, um, some video catalog and being able to get multiple maniacs, which is uh, up until last year, one of the hardest ones still to get. Uh, last year, the Criterion Collection did a release okay. of multiple maniacs. But you, but I somehow got a VHS of Multiple Maniacs in Lincoln, North Carolina, in the '90s that I ordered. So I had this copy of it, and I remember my mom getting it and just being like, "What is this?" Because it's this black and white, and it looks like like Gonzo porn from 1969. <laughs> and my mom was just like, "What are you into? Like, this is so weird that this would be the thing that you would order." And I remember my mom being like, my mom knew who Divine, my mom, you know, knows who Divine was, but it was just, she was just like, you got some Divine movie in the mail. And I was like, oh, I've got multiple maniacs. <laughs> and how old are you? Like 16? I was probably 15, 16. 16. I was okay. probably 16 at the time. Yeah. And so, but I really dug for that. And then it wasn't until freshman year in college when there was a blockbuster or Hollywood video that had Female Trouble and Pink Flamingos Okay. at the video store. And I was able, and in freshman year, I made friends of mine rent 
female trouble and I had never seen it, but I had been reading all about it. At this point I was I was finding articles about him and his movie and I was yeah. like So I made Sight Unseen, made a whole group of friends watch Female <laughs> Trouble, which is so great. I don't know. Have you seen I, any of these movies? I've they... seen Hairspray. Like okay, okay. I am a basic bitch too. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um well Female Trouble came out after Pink Flamingos. And each one of his movies, like you, you see the progression in the in the quality of film that he's okay. that he's making. Because like, if you start with Mondo Trasho, which is like his, it's a silent film that he put a soundtrack underneath. So it's just, and it's just divine and and Mink Stole and just just a lot of crime they're committing all around Baltimore. <laughs> and there's a lot of nudity and and then Multiple Maniacs was after that, and it was um, his first talkie in like 1970. <laughs> And it is, it's incredible because the, the, the re-release in Criterion Collection is was so great because there's so much dialogue that he's cleaned up that you can actually hear because in the bootleg, the version that I had, it wasn't bootleg, but it was a really bad copy. You couldn't hear a lot of the dialogue in it. So like it was just, it was very, it was just a lot of screaming and a lot of like, <laughs> you know, but it was a thing about I Divine. Like Divine uh, played, played a character named Divine who had this thing called the Cavalcade of Perversions and she traveled around to different cities and people would go inside and see like a puke eater and like all these different things and like, you know, and like a reefer smoker and like one of them was just like two men kissing and these people would be like revolted by it and then they would kill these people and then they would take all their, their um, watches and their wallets and they would travel to the next town. Is it, this is female trouble? This is multiple maniacs. Multiple maniacs. So this is the one you got in the mail at 16. So that's the one I got in the mail. Then... Pink Flamingos was after that, and that came okay. out in '72, and that was his huge blowout. That's when he really got the attention, and that's the one where Divine, you know, eats dog shit at the end. That's what most people know about, but that's the one where there's it's a contest for who's the filthiest person alive, <laughs> and so <laughs> Divine is in this contest between you know that and Mink Stoll and David Lockery are this couple, and they're named Connie and Raymond Marble, and they live across the you know across Baltimore, and they're truly horrible people. And Divine is sort of the hero of that. Right. And so they go back and forth as to who's worse. And it, the movie culminates with Divine, you know, and it's a single shot of a dog walking down the street, squatting, shitting, Divine scooping it up and eating it all in one take. And um, which he really did. Yeah. Um, and that was so that's the his most famous under of the underground films. OK. Then after that is Female Trouble. Which is um, far superior, in my opinion, because okay. it's, the script is so sharp. And it's when they really nailed the, the dialogue. So I would suggest if you, were, if you were trying to find, like, the first, like, underground John Waters, like, pre-hairspray John Waters, okay. the first one to watch would be Female Trouble because it's vile and upsetting, and, <laughs> and, but in the best way. But it's so funny from the, from the second it starts. And... I have a group of friends that gets together every year in Palm Springs uh, um, for New Year's and we watch movies and we just share throughout the year. We like find things that we think nobody has seen. Okay. But the one movie that we watch every single year is Female Trouble. And is that to like recreate this adventure you had in college watching Female Trouble? I mean, it's like it makes me so happy that I have a group of friends now that all collectively love it. And you can watch it over and over and over again, and it never gets old. Did the people appreciate it when you first watched it in college, or were they, you <laughs> they, alone in your love? On some level, they did, because they always bring it up. Because <laughs> they're always like, cause it was freshman year, and these are still people that I'm, a lot of whom that I'm still in touch with and still friends with, and they always bring up like, remember freshman year when you made us sit in your dorm room and watch Female Trouble? 
and they remember it <laughs> all too well. You know, so um, it's not like one of these dark things that they that they've blocked out. And they're like, you know, so I'm very proud of that because I also like I went to Wake Forest, which is if you're familiar with it, it's a very conservative small school in North Carolina. So I was very proud. Oh, wow. So you didn't you didn't like get out of this small no. town rural area no. as you went to college. Well, Wake Forest is a is a really good school and it was it was about three hours away from where I grew up. Okay. But it's definitely a small liberal arts school. It was not a big lab. But it was in Winston Salem, which is a lot more. Okay, like so a, you still like felt a, like you were like exploding out into the world when oh, you went to college? Oh, absolutely. Okay. When I was eighteen, I was like, I'm I'm moving from Lincolnton to Winston Salem, North Carolina. So no, I did not I didn't really explode onto the world until after college when I moved to LA, but I was very happy to get to share John Waters movies yeah. with, these, with, with these people who were very, even more sheltered than I was in terms of what they had seen yeah. movie wise. So yeah, so I've just always, you know, and then after, so after Female Trouble, there was Desperate Living, which is about, it, 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 it's all about like, you know, women committing crime and, you know, and vile acts being done. That one is where it's, this, it's like almost like a fairy tale okay. of, for people who are, who are criminals and they live in a place called Mortville. Um, and they ha- it's almost like the upside down in Stranger Things. It's very similar to like the, this alternate world they have to go to. And um, yeah, and then there was Polyester, which was sort of which was one of his biggest mainstream hits before Hairspray. And I've always said. He's my number one. Like Carol Burnett and John Waters are my yeah. two. Like they're those are the people that have like influenced me more than anybody. So have you have you ever met him, or would you want to meet him? Well, I got to talk to him on the phone. I got to interview him, um, and I've had opportunities to meet him before. And I'm I'm totally I totally geek out. Like I'm just afraid because <laughs> I've only heard wonderful stories about him, and people say he's like the coolest, greatest, nicest person in the yeah. world. I just don't really know what I would say to him because it's like so deep. And I think that's the thing where you're like, there's certain people you go, oh, that's, it's so cool to meet you. I have, I'd have questions for you. But I feel like I've read every one of his books. He's written several books. Yeah. I've read all of his interviews. I know everything I'd want to know. Like, I feel like I know him. Yeah. And I have that, I'm not a big fan of a lot of people and things on that level, but I get it when people talk about being such nerds or fans of things because I'm like, I have that weird thing where I want him to know how much I get it. Right. Do you know what I mean? So you want to just come to him and say, like, here are the five or six key phrases that unlock the I truth know. of... And I know that, like, it would never it would never mean the same thing to him. You know what I mean? And so it would just be this weird thing. Like, it's I that, understand what you mean, though. When you, you know, read enough about somebody, you're like, hey, hey, I get where you're coming from. But that's right. a weird thing to just walk it's up very to an strange. artist and go... It's it's always it's hard because you're just like you know. Um, so anyway, I was writing for this local magazine in LA called Frontiers, and I usually did like editorial and comedy stuff. And the editor was like, "We have an interview with John Waters, and I know how much you love him. Oh, nice. Would you like to interview him for his upcoming holiday show?" And I don't interview people like uh, except for like on my podcast yeah. or whatever. But like I don't really know how to do that. And the, and so I was like, "Yes, I have to." <laughs> So I did get to talk to him on the phone and he was incredible. And but I was such a babbling dork. Like I was I had to start with, you don't know how much I love you. I love you so much. You don't even know. You don't even know me. And he was like, oh, great. That's so nice. We'll have a good interview then. Great. And um, within 30 seconds, we were talking about his favorite porn, which was something about um, it was about it was like ghost. It was it was like some sort of like Scandinavian ghost porn that he loved. (laughs) And I was like, this is why he's so amazing, because he's so instantly familiar. Like, okay, 
he gets it. We're going to go into this really dark hole without, you know. Yeah. Um, but then the questions that I asked him, I kind of knew a lot of the answers. You did know, you I feel mean, like he gave you boilerplate answers? He Well, what he did really brilliantly was that he has done so many interviews. I get to, he sort of <laughs> steered the interview <laughs> in a great way. Like he kind of knew like, okay, I can just talk about this and this is what I want to talk about here and there and here, you know. I did remember I asked him what was sh- like shocking now. I was like, what shocks you now? Oh. I was like, what are the kids doing now that is like, you know, like you you guys like, you know, took speed and made these like really edgy movies and yeah what and he he was saying bitcoins that's when he was like he was like bitcoins um and so i thought that was really interesting and because he's really to this day i mean he's 70 years old and he's still punk rock i mean this is a man who two years ago hitchhiked across the country do you know about this i you know i read his wikipedia page this morning okay okay two of the big things that were there was the dog shit scene in in the hitchhiking yes he just asked himself, what's the most punk thing to do now? Like, what can I do in my late 60s at the time? And he decided to hitchhike from Baltimore to San Francisco. And he told his assistant, do not save me. No no. matter what. Under no circumstances. And it's in his book, Carsick. So he, he, he documented his whole time doing this. So yeah, he told his assistant, like, no matter what, do not help me. And he also started off saying, like, it's going to be widely documented if I start out on this and I don't make it through. Yeah. Because, like, if I call in and he's like, it's, I'm going to look like a failure and I'm going to just be like, I failed at this. And, you know, so he's like, I ha-. and so he's so committed to being this badass that he yeah. is. He's like, I'm doing it. He had these incredible stories and these adventure and all the thing and the people that picked him up and all this stuff. And. Occasionally, he did talk about people that knew who he was and they recognized him. Yeah, and they're like, holy and shit, then, I get to pick up John Exactly, Waters. and there was like a band, um, there was some indie rock band that picked him up around a certain point. And then, <laughs> but a lot of people didn't know who he was. And, you know, people wouldn't, I don't think, especially if you're just seeing some guy on the side of the road. But he only had a briefcase. And I, and I, I mean, I, I'm sure he had a cell phone and that was it. Yeah. And so he had one moment that he talked about where he was on the road for several hours, like eight or nine hours, and oh, nobody damn. was picking him up. And he had a meltdown in the middle of the country and called his assistant and said, I'm, I'm done. You have to come send help, send somebody to get yeah. me. I can't do it. And his assistant hung up on him. <laughs> and when he made it back to San Francisco, he called his assistant and said, you still have a job. Like he basically was like, you did what I, you told, did you what I told you to yeah, do. You Even though punk rock. he admitted that there was a moment where he broke and was like, I, didn't, I can't do this, but he stayed in it and made it through and made it from, you know, uh, which is like, who else can do that? Who yeah. else can say that? You know, there are people who at a certain point, they're like, you know what? I lived that life. I'm going to. Yeah. And John Waters could have made that story funny. He could have sold a book that was like, I did a road trip and gave up halfway exactly. through. And he could have spun that and made Absolutely. that damn entertaining. So it's not like he right. wouldn't have still made the artistic goal. So it's cool. Right. And he's all of his. And, and the thing, too, in his films, he always includes people I think that he deeply respects for different reasons, like Patty Hearst, he's had, he's become really close friends with her, okay, and um, uh, Iggy Pop, and all these people that he's put <laughs> in his films that I think he sees as lifelong badasses, right? Too. From totally different walks of yes, life. Yes, exactly. So, since you understand him really well, would you ever want to play him in a biopic if you got that? Oh option? my god, I would be terrified because I'd be so afraid about getting it right. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, it would be such an honor. 
I mean, I do think that there's so much of divine and like there, there's so many things that, as a performer that I just can't not credit divine. Okay. As an act, like it's just in me, you know, because I, I just grew up watching that and being like, that's the definition of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be that. And, um, and when anybody compares me to divine, it's like the best compliment in the world. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, that's the, that's, I couldn't ask for a better. But, I, you know, John Waters has always said, um, I asked him that question, who would play him? Cause, oh, really? Because he's always said Steve Buscemi should play him. <laughs> and, and he's had for one year for his Christmas card, he just had a picture of Steve Buscemi. <laughs> and Steve Buscemi, like, loves it. And, like, they've, they're, you know, they're friends. And he's like, you know. But now he said um, this actor, Matthew Gray Goobler, who it's actually perfect, who really looks like a young John Waters. If you would look at him, you're like, that's actually who should play yeah. John Waters. But if he came to you himself and said, hey, will you oh, do this? You 100%, would, you would do it, right? okay. 100%. And with complete respect and terror, I would totally do it. Yeah. <laughs> respect and terror is great. <laughs> How much of John Waters' magic do you think is contained in the pencil mustache? Like, I know it's it, kind of surface level, but it's also just so... No, it's, it's really special. It's a combination special. of dignified and ridiculous, and, and, which and is filthy. And, 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 it's, <laughs> and it's it's filthy because it's so creepy because it's this drawn-on pencil right about... But, and it's also iconic. It's one of those things that, you know, a true snowflake, you know, a, a somebody who is, you know, a, 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 you know a, a starburst. You know what I mean? There's yeah. that thing where you're like, oh, nobody else figured that out. It's so simple. It's just like... All great modern art when people say, I could do that, but you didn't. You know, it's like yeah. anybody could just draw on a little pencil above their lip. But he has done that forever and always says that he, you know, will always have that. I mean, like his, it's like his signature. But it does say so much about him because it's it is very dignified and it is very restrained. Yet it's also deeply disturbing yeah in a, in a in a beautiful way he always <laughs> sort of looks at you like i'm kind of teasing you like i'm uh-huh. inviting you in on the uh-huh. joke but you are the joke at the same time Absolutely. there's something about the it... and when i've i've gotten to see him live um four four or five times he i've seen his live solo shows and he it, it's a completely spiritual experience because he <laughs> talks to the audience in the he's so intelligent and he sees the world in such a way that like you're like that's absolutely how I mean I I mean his opinions about everything I go I mean he's the only person whose opinions I I we disagree on some movies he some he always releases his favorite <laughs> movies of the year and sometimes I'm like no I disagree on that I didn't like that or I loved that and you didn't or whatever but other than that like his opinions on like just the world and people he understands yeah. people so well that like he said something about like dressing up in like garish clothes and like knocking on politicians houses and just like just showing up in their doorstep with like fashion don'ts like just that that's how you're going to really offend them like he just has such an ability to like shock and scandalize with with heart i mean there's yeah. there's, nothing, there's there's no there's no like a, like again there's no like real malice in yeah. anything that he's saying there's you know? nothing that's uh to me like winking and i'm doing this to be seen that it is yes. entirely about the honesty of that interaction Absolutely. of like, hey, if I knock on a politician's door and I'm wearing this weird costume and I got my pencil mustache and I'm just in their face and they need to answer me, right? I'm going to get some honesty out of that interaction. And Absolutely. there's no vibe of like, but it only matters if people are watching. It, yeah. The, he's never been. That. I mean, if anything, he makes complete mockery of that perspective. Um, you know, if you know, if only if people are watching. Yeah. And that's so much what's in Serial Mom as well. And and. and a lot of and in polyester as well. That just the the cameras are so important. There's so much in 
in polyester about like um, how much what's captured on the news and how people do things for the camera versus who they really are. Yeah. And um, and he has no I mean, he has zero respect for people who who are false in that way. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about a thing I read on Wikipedia, which, by the way, his Wikipedia page, almost everything says citation needed. And really? It is almost all like pretty basic facts, almost to the point wow. where I thought like, did somebody do this as a joke? Because it feels very wow. like a fun John Waters huh. joke to say, huh. citation needed for everything. <laughs> uh, but there's a quote there that says he takes an equal amount of joy and influence from highbrow art films and sleazy exploitation films, citation needed. Um, <laughs> That's true. I, I was curious how much you feel that about your own work too, about wanting to take from oh. the really high and the really low and kind of middle brow is exactly where one should be. Right. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. I'm that nerd who for the last four or five years has seen like every film nominated for Indie Spirit Awards, which is hard to do. Like you actually, it's a part-time job. And those are some depressing movies. Depressing movies and a lot that you're like, oh my God. And you have to find them. You have to dig for these (laughs) movies and really go through, you know. And really, you know, scour the, the, the trades every every week or the, you know, the papers every day for where they're screening. <laughs> so I see a lot of really like small budget or like high art indie films. Like I really am interested in that. And yet I usually am in, you know, for me performing, I'm putting on wigs in the basement of a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely see, you know, I'll be in the basement at Casita del Campo talking about some bizarre movie. And, and I'm like, I don't know who else can even relate to this movie that I'm talking about because I had to dig to find it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but he always like his top movies of the year. He will find he'll mention some foreign film that no one's ever heard of. That's some that's maybe like a, a, a very quiet beautiful simple film that is not his aesthetic at all but also like his favorite films i know last year like um cinderella was one of his favorite okay. films the, the the live action cinderella that didn't go um, over well did it cinderella. no i don't think so but he will always find you know he has a lot of his taste is very wide it's it's usually not connected directly to anything you would think john waters would love right which is always so interesting too but he, I mean, you hear him to hear him talk about films and I mean, he, and and books and art. He knows art and literature like nobody's business. So is that one of the reasons that you search out this, the indie films because you learn to be I mean, voracious uh, maybe, as a consumer of art? Maybe I don't know. I think I'm just a nerd about that kind of stuff, and I always <laughs> want to. I'm always like interested in stuff that I don't know about, and I always want to know like what's going on and a lot of it I, I can't even really talk that intelligently about but I want to be a part of it and, and at least in the viewing of it whether yeah. I can and I think too like most of what I do in, in terms of comedy and sketch and all that kind of and parody and all that kind of stuff that I do that's the last thing that I'm interested in seeing when I go to the movies okay because I usually unless it's brilliant like unless it's unless it's like John Waters I don't really want to see something that I put my critical hat on too quickly like I'm thinking and I'm going oh they should have done this and they should have done that whereas like if I can see some really like small beautiful heartbreaking tragic drama that it's like I that's so out of my world of what I would ever make or want to be in yeah I'm way more interested in that that makes a lot of sense yeah I wanted to also ask you I recently did an episode of this podcast about Dolly Parton Oh, wow. It was a cool opportunity to ask some questions of my guest about Dollywood, about her theme park. Yes. So that got me thinking, if John Waters had a theme park, what do you think that would be like? Oh, my God. Well, the name, 
of his production company forever from the earliest stages was Dreamland. Okay. So I would imagine it would have, it would be called Dreamland and it would be, there's so many incredible rides. I mean, just like, you know, <laughs> a, a, a puke shoot and, you know, I can't imagine what, you know, would happen, you know. A little hitchhiking ride where yes. you can just have to like thumb, stick your thumb out to get onto the next cart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I think one would just be like you have to walk through like a city in Baltimore. You know, I mean, I mean, like a street. In, <laughs> you have to walk through like a street in Baltimore, and just deal with the locals, you know, who are just not not plussed by you know yeah. anything you bring. You know, <laughs> I love. I would love to go just walk through Baltimore <laughs> in John Waters land. Exactly. <laughs> Sarah Meyer, co-producer of this show, and I've come out to the beautiful Santa Monica Pier to find out what your average tourist thinks about John Waters. Have you ever heard of John Waters? Name sounds familiar, but other than that, I've never heard of him. No. No, I haven't. Have you heard of John Waters? I think I have, yeah. Who is it? Is it the director? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He done Hairspray. Yeah. Are you impressed that he knew that? I am quite impressed that he knew that. I'm a gay man, I've got to know... Can't know that, and I. Do you have a favorite song from Hairspray? You can't stop the beat, of course. Sing it. <laughs> Sorry, how that's not going to happen. <laughs> John Waters has a pencil mustache. Would you ever try to pull off a pencil mustache? No, 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 no. no. It's too much of a '30s thing. It's like an Errol Flynn type thing. Yeah. I've had my mustache for years. I, I could probably would even born with it. I don't know. Do you think you could pull off a pencil mustache? I think I'll give it a good go, yeah. Yeah, I think I could do that, why not? Would you hitchhike across the U.S. at age 70? No. 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 Why not? It's scary out there. (laughs) Scary? Yeah. What are you scared of? I'm not scared, but it's just scary out there. I wouldn't want to be out there at night. Well, it sounds like you're scared of something. I'm not scared of nothing. Then you could do it. I don't want to. (laughs) I'm not trying to convince you. It's up to you. When you're 70, can you see yourself hitchhiking across the country? Yes, definitely. Me and my husband. Is that your husband? Yes. Should we ask him? Yes. He's studiously ignoring us. <laughs> Babe. Ask him about the hitchhiking thing. John Waters, he's up in age. He decided to hitchhike across the U.S. Is that wow. something that you think we'd like to do when we're 70? Not ever in life. <laughs> <laughs> did that surprise you, that answer? It did, actually. We got married yesterday. Are you serious? Well, First we, day. Yep, we met three months ago. You guys got married yesterday. Yeah. So you are still learning about each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely hitchhike. I don't know about 70, though. God, no, I'll be at home by then, sat in my bed, I think, probably. How about you? Um, I'd like to think if I'm fit enough to still fight people off if I get into an awkward situation. Like hitchhiking, I mean, you're putting your safety into other people's hands. So if I feel fit enough, then yeah. But so they equally, we could be the psychos and they, they stop yeah, for yeah, us. They yeah. take that risk as well. Yeah, true. That's very true. Would you pick John Waters up if you if you recognized him? If he was going to cast me in Hairspray, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the film. So if you want to be cast in Hairspray, that means you can sing. I'm not going to sing anything to you from Hairspray. I, I, can you convince him, please? Um, well, I've heard his singing, so I'm not sure if he really wants to. You bitch. We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. Okay. So these are questions I ask every guest. Some of them are kind of weird. Okay, great. Do you think about John Waters every day? Um, great question. No, I would say at least once a week, though. It just comes up because everything I reference, like, like there was somebody posted some a picture of Kellyanne Conway. And I was like, <laughs> there's the face of a retarded brat. 
And somebody started laughing. And I was like, oh, that's a line from Female Trouble. Like, I'm always like, everything is, I see it through that lens. Right. So it comes up in that way. Okay. So even if you're not consciously thinking about John Waters, like, you're not it's sitting there. aside, like, I'm going to have some tea and think about John Waters. No, I don't really. It's, it's never a conscious thing. But okay. it just, it's just my points of reference are usually in that world. Yeah. Have you ever had a dream about John Waters? Not that I know of. No. Do you have dreams that you remember in general? Um, lately, yeah, I've been having lots of dreams where I'm having to like hang out with Donald Trump, which I think we all are. I think we're all sort of dreaming about that, which is just bizarre. And it's usually just like he's like re- representing like some like horrible family member of, or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm just like living in fear of like hanging out with that person. Yeah. Um, Trump is interesting so, to think about in the context of John Waters because obviously I can't imagine he supports his uh, horrific no, views, no, but, but he is a mashup of the trashy with the the real. Yes, I think. I mean, the one thing John Waters, what he said about like after the you know when people were freaking out right after the election, you know, he did say he he had a really I thought a very reasonable approach of being like, look. We've lived through Nixon. We've lived through Reagan. He said, at least Donald Trump has met a gay person. <laughs> he was like, you know, and he was like, if you're going to leave the country about this, fine, go. Like, leave. Nobody wants, nobody cares. He basically was like, we don't care if you want to leave this country over there. So he definitely had a very, like, I thought it, it actually made me feel a lot better right after that. Because I was like, okay. He's like, we got this. It's time for art. It's time for chaos. It's time for resistance. It's right. time for, this is this is what we've been through before. And I think as as a true, like, punk icon that he is, he's like, this is the time that we all need to be, like, you know. So he's not supporting Donald Trump by yeah. any means, but he's certainly not like, let's run away and hide or let's let, let's live in misery and say we're doomed. And, yeah. You know, he's like, no, this is the time that we need to be making really interesting stuff. Right. All the more reason to go hitchhiking. And Absolutely. Not let you make your Absolutely. Assistant make you not quit. Cool. Yeah. Uh, has John Waters ever made you cry? That's a great question. I don't think so. No, I can't say. I can't say that he has. Do you think that is a reaction that he wants from any of his film or work? Or is he so focused on even if there's a big idea, the end result should be laughter? I think if I had to answer that for him, I think he would. Oh, it's it's like it's his own truth. Okay. It's like at the end of the day, it's like justice and truth are really important to him. So I and he's naturally very funny, and I think he, he uses comedy as a way to like as a social corrective. Yeah, you know, and saying this is what's wrong with people. We can laugh about it, and occasionally there are times that he will step outside of that and just make a flat out joke. Okay. Um, I think he would be fascinated if someone, and I'm sure he's had a fan come up and say, "Oh my God, you know." When Lulu goes to get an abortion and polyester, <laughs> it made me cry. I mean, I'm sure he'd be interested in that, hearing that perspective, but uh, no, that hasn't yeah. made me cry. <laughs> so when people walk into your home, can they tell that you're obsessed with John Waters? Oh, um, that's a great question as well. I don't think so. Although my apartment building I did pick is something that I think it's it's bright pink with sparkling turquoise letters in front of the 60s like uh, dingbat apartment where okay. there's like the two story 
So it definitely looks like the opening credits of a John Waters film as when you look at my building, for and sure. Did you really I, – I understand you would you would see that and go, that's within my aesthetic because I like John oh, Waters. 100%. But did you decide, like, I'm going to live here because – Not consciously, but I know that, like, everything that shapes when, – when I love something that's, like, so tacky, it's, it's beautiful, <laughs> I know where I got it from. <laughs> Speaking of tacky but beautiful, would you write a poem about John Waters? You know what? I, as a general rule, I hate poetry. <laughs> so, I, you know, but if I had to, I, I, I would. I think I would write a really, like a really shitty childish nursery rhyme for him, you know, that would that would appeal to the brattiest, most awful characters that he's ever played. I would I would do that more than I would write like an earnest, yeah, you know, honest poem to him. You might write a limerick. Right. Or just like a, because like the, you know, um, there's that character, you know, that, that Mink Stoll played in Female Trouble that she's always singing. She's always, like, doing nursery rhymes and, and um, jumping rope. Like, Mabel, Mabel, on a table. Like, it would be something like that. Like a, <laughs> like a 1950s disgusting rhyme about, like, a deeply bad person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take that as a yes, ultimately. Uh, yes, I would. I would. <laughs> you hitchhiked from a no to a yes. <laughs> If you owned a professional sports team, would you name it after John Waters? Oh, my God. I mean, why not? First of all, how would I own a professional <laughs> sports team? This is actually way, the if I got If I got, like, handed a sports team, it would be the funniest thing in the world. I would have <laughs> no idea what to do with it. So I may as well call it the Francine Fishpaws or the, you know, the Donald Dashers. Yeah. Why not? You now, is is Drew Drogi your real name, or it did is. you change to alliteration for John Waters? No, but no, that's that's my real name nice. from day one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you about the sports team because this is the first time I've asked that question, and I'm oh, glad really? that your mind actually went to okay. Well, first, how would I get? A how would that team? happen? It would have to be handed to me. Yeah. Even if somebody offered me like. Hey, would you like the Chicago Bulls? It's like ten bucks. I think I'd be like, "No, I'm good." I would ruin it. I'd ruin like a, a major institution for millions of people. I would drive it into the ground pretty hard. I, I don't even want it. But. but if somebody gave you the Chicago Bulls, what would you call them? Oh my god! Oh my god! What would I call them? I would first of all, I would look at all of them and be like, "I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry." Thank you for your service. <laughs> Play ball. Do they say that? I think so. <laughs> okay. Sure. That's a nice and all purpose. Okay. Now I'm going to rename you after John Waters. <laughs> if you heard someone say an incorrect fact about John Waters, would you correct them? Always. <laughs> I mean, with a, I've done it many times. Really? Yeah, because people, you know, they'll they'll say certain things. And I actually, a couple years ago, I was asked to do a, a reading of a play that somebody was trying to do about Divine. And, you know, at the t- it was like I sight unseen because they, they asked me to read a couple characters in it. And I was like, yes, I'm on board. Of course I want to <laughs> do it. And I was so offended by the play because it had so many incorrect facts. Okay. And it was basically arguing that that John Waters was this like villain that was that was turning that because um, Divine's real name was Glenn Milstead. And so that was the, so there were two different characters. It was Glenn, Glenn and Divine. Okay. And Glenn was this very nice, unassuming, lovely guy. And Divine was this monster, which neither were true. They both were the same incredible, lovely person. Yeah. And if you watch Jeffrey Schwartz's amazing documentary called I Am Divine, you fall in love with Divine. And everybody that ever knew him was like, he was the greatest person ever. 
So it basically this play, which never happened, it never got off. And I think John Waters actually found out about it and there was a cease and desist involved in it. Basically, it was like that he turned this like really nice guy into this like crazy monster. Okay. And aside from the horrible, like sort of the 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 damning of his character, it, there were so many things that were incorrect, just about like dates that things happened. And I was like, did you do any research? Did you read a book before you launched into this crazy? Also, like I think about that, I'm like, who would want to go see that play? Like, who was like, you know, of all the trouble in the world, yeah. of all the villains in the world, <laughs> who needs to be you taken know who down I want to hear about? I want to hear about how, like, that horrible, per- like, these people did nothing but entertain people. You know, that yeah. all they've done all their lives is make really cool shit. Yeah, that inspires people. Yeah. Did you make it through the play, the reading without correcting? Um, well, we had like one rehearsal and I was so upset that I had to go through. And I, of course I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. But I did throughout the, in the, in the first rehearsal. I mean, the only rehearsal we had because we just a reading. Yeah. I was like, well, that's not true. And I think I'd like Mink Stoll's real name wrong. There were like things that are like so easily yeah. checkable yeah. that they just got wrong. Is it specific to John Waters that you're willing to correct people or do you correct people anytime it's something I've, okay. that means something I've tried something to, to get better about that because there are many times that I'm like, you know what? You don't need to walk around the world. I, I'm that know-it-all. Like I, I, fa- I, I fight that demon inside a lot because there's many times that I'm like, you know what? I don't need to tell people that they're wrong a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's worth it and sometimes it's, it's not, you know, because – there's, I mean, I, I, I've seen it in like some friends or people that I've known who sometimes I'm like, they, they will go to such an extreme that like, they'll be such an asshole. They're like, I'll rather be right than kind or human in yeah. this moment. Like, I'm going to make you feel like an idiot because you get something wrong. I don't find that to be a very attractive quality. I'm not proud of the fact that I'm a know-it-all about anything. Like, I don't think that that's a, a great quality to have because who cares at yeah. the end of the day? You know I mean? Unless you're, unless you're spreading... I mean, the problem with the, like a play like I was talking about is like it's it's liable. I mean, it's like just incorrect and it's like and it's damning someone's character. In that case, yes. Like and and, and it's something that I'm so obsessed with. I do want people to know all the right answers. But in general, when somebody just says the wrong thing, I try not to. Yeah. I mean, that's understandable. There is a big difference between like, oh, you got the class of that starship from Star Trek wrong versus – yeah, John Waters, I think, is can be misunderstood in big picture ways through yes. an accumulation of little incorrect yes. facts. Yes, big picture stuff I will definitely because people will they'll see like a um, who, like I'm trying to think of like who are like some like modern filmmakers and people will say that's like a John Waters movie and it's like no like Fairly Brothers okay. who I love I love Fairly Brothers they're great right but they're just kind but of standard they're gross out humor it's different you know and I don't and I think there's room for it but when people compare that to John Waters I'm like no 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 and I will get in I'll go deep <laughs> with that and then people are like very upset that they casually threw out that reference and you're totally like, just hold my beer I, I'm going I'm going in <laughs> exactly um, but yeah in general there, there are times that you you know, when people, because I'll say something and I don't like when people jump down my throat immediately. I'm like, that's not correct because blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, you win. You know, yeah. I roll, I roll over real fast on that. I'm like, <laughs> fine. Would you ever get a John Waters tattoo? Um, I don't have any tattoos. Okay. And so, you know, I don't think so. No. Yeah. I would just say no. 
What is your? I love uh, tattoos on other people, but I can't ever think of one that I would ever put on me. So like it's it's you know, is it the permanency? Like you don't? Yeah, there's a permanency. Say... Even though like it's something that like I I know I will die loving John Waters. It's yeah. not like I I would be like oh one day I'm gonna wake up and go I'm not as much of a. I just yeah. couldn't. I couldn't do. That's just not how I. I'm also. I've never been a bumper sticker person. Okay. Do you, if that makes sense. So it sounds like you want to express your love. Uh, uh, Internally, like you want to take yes. it in and then let it come out yes. through the other things you do instead of putting it on your car or your body. Right. I think the people that have like stuff on the body, I'm I'm, it's a little bit of a like. Oh, this sounds so awful, but sometimes it's like a it's like a um, a placeholder for personality that some people have. You know, they're like, look how my look all the crazy things that I like that yeah. I have on me. That I'm always a little bit like, well, who are I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So you're coming at it from a uh, almost a show don't tell perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, that's <laughs> cool. good. I'll cool. take that. Yeah. Would you? This is just a side question because I'm thinking about it. Would you ever try having the pencil mustache? No, because that I, feels like just. I would feel to like I was him. like stealing from him. <laughs> I would be like, oh god, why are you doing? That? Um, although I have done it, I did do it in a character one time oh, that really? I did on stage. Yeah, it, was it gratifying? Um, did he? It was really fun because because people identified it and they're like, is that like the John Waters thing? And I was like, so I did. I would say not in real life, but I did. Yeah. I would not want to do the pencil mustache in, in life because I wouldn't want to ever like copy him. But in the it was an homage to him because it was at a UCB um, show that we did it was this this crazy musical that we ended up turning into a little movie called Freak Dance. And it was like all like like a break dancing thing. And I played the bad guy. <laughs> And I was in an all silver suit. My name was Dazzle. And when we did it on stage, <laughs> I did a little like a little pencil mustache that was really fun to just nice. sort of be like this because it you know felt like a character that could be in one of his movies. Have you ever given any thought to like, hey, if I was going to have an iconic something like the mustache, what would it be? Have you ever thought like, oh, maybe I should just be I'll, I'll be the guy who always has a mohawk no matter what? No, I mean I've I've always had crazy hair that 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 I've always kind of tried to keep long and insane, but. I, you know, no, I don't. I, I I've never had that. Like I've never had that like desire. I've thought about it. Yeah. I've definitely thought that. I'm like, what would mine be? I've definitely thought that question before. I've thought that through before, but I I just don't know that I would have anything external. Yeah, cool. that would be it. No, that makes sense. Mm. If a feral bear was blocking mm. you from getting into a John Waters movie, <laughs> would you try to go around the bear? No. I would run the other way. <laughs> a feral bear. A feral as a, bear. As opposed to a domesticated bear. Well, people keep bargaining <laughs> with this question, so. Yeah. It's like Melanie Griffith. What did Melanie Griffith's family have? Were those tigers? Lions? I think so, yeah. Those lions, I think. Like the, that uh, Tippi Hedren and... <laughs> That uh, that have you heard, have you seen that movie Roar? The, no, it's a documentary. It's called Roar, and it's um, Tippi Hedren and Melanie Griffith. That whole family they had lions that they kept, and oh, crew members, people maimed, people like killed. Like it was a horrible situation. Yeah. They, had wild, they had wild animals. I highly recommend it. It's it's <laughs> it will definitely make you not want to fuck with feral anything. Okay, so you learned your lesson from Roar. <laughs> you can just wait for right. it on uh, DVD streaming. I'll, I'll wait for it. Yeah, you, I love I love you, John, but I'm not gonna fight a bear to <laughs> see anything. Fair enough. This is the last "How obsessed are you?" question. It's a weird one that I ask everyone. If you couldn't watch a John Waters movie without you or someone you love first being punched in the crotch, would you still watch John Waters movies? I would. I would take it. I would take the hit in the nuts. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to wish it on anybody, someone I loved. Yeah. But uh, I'd, you know, I'd, it it would be worth it. Because by the end, 
I wouldn't. I'd forget the punch and remember the movie. Yeah. So <laughs> even if it's something you'd seen a million times. Yeah. If I was going to be sharing it with someone that I that I loved that who hadn't seen it. Yeah. Because that's my favorite thing is to show these movies to people because their first reaction is always like one of just complete shock. Okay. They're usually not dying laughing at first. They're usually a little bit like, "What is going on? <laughs> who are these people? Or is the, are these people real? Are they actors or?" Because yeah. they're really, I mean, it's a level of the the performances, the acting is is so arch and bizarre. You wonder if like, you know, I think Roger Ebert was quoted when like Pink Flamingos came out. He he thought it was like a documentary. He thought they were just real people. Okay. And he's like, who are these people? Do they have real jobs? Are they, <laughs> are they like where they live? Like he was so offended by it. And, uh, and while he will always go down as a, as a less than stellar film critic in my mind because he never understood John Waters. He never got camp at all. No. And I, and I, that's why people are like, you want to, you know, lionize Roger Ebert. I'm like, mm, he was, he was fine. He was a, a B minus to me in terms of like really understanding because he hated John Waters movies. And yeah. so, you know, not my film critic. Yeah. So that's yeah. cool that you feel like the, when thinking about the the dumb uh, crotch punching question, but that what comes to mind for you is seeing it, the movie again through somebody else's eyes. Yes, so like that's a big part of the viewing yes. experience for you. Because it's because I because I remember the times that I've been able to show the, his movies to people for the first time and how like influential they were. Yeah, I mean, I guess especially the freshman year in college moment because it was like we were all just getting to know each other and getting to know ourselves. We're eighteen, and it's that really like defining period. Yeah. And I think it really showed my friends more than I was even aware of who I was yeah. by showing them that movie. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like how other people are like, oh, my God, you have to watch Pulp Fiction or The Usual Suspects or whatever. Yeah. You know, those were the movies around that time that were like the ones that everybody else was watching. And I was like. We're going to find this 1974 <laughs> drag queen murder comedy yeah. So, yeah. And then you'll know me. Then you'll know me. <laughs> and and they still, you know, and that's still me, you yeah. know. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What noise do you make? Uh, oh my god. When you think of John Waters. Gator, no, no, <laughs> Gator, no. <laughs> Which movie that's is that noise. from? That's from Female Trouble. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's when um Aunt Ida is really offended that her son Gator wants to be uh, heterosexual and work in the auto industry. <laughs> She's really offended by his choices. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, I rate everyone's obsession. Okay. Uh, on a scale of one to seven. Okay. And for you, we'll say it's out of seven pencil mustaches. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I'm going to give you a five out of seven. Okay. Because that's fair enough. I think... Because uh, I won't fight a bear? Yeah, because you won't fight a bear. <laughs> for fuck's sake, step up. Uh yeah, no, I, it's so. I really love doing this podcast to learn about uh, how obsession is different for different people. Right, and for a lot of people, it is a sort of uh, physical thing. Where like, what can I amass? Can I right. make this physically a part of my world? Can I buy toys? Can I assemble mm-hmm. things? Can I do an activity? And for you, it is such a. It's very internal. Just internal. It's just which I've all never of thought ideas. of until this. So yeah, this has been so cool to even explore this. Because I don't even really talk that much about it because I feel like I'm so inside it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, it's hard. Just maybe some talk about sometimes because you're like, it, it's such a part of like your your bones. Yeah. That you know you're like it becomes very, it's very self reflexive. Yeah. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Do you have anything that you uh, want to plug where people can find you on social media? All well, that? I, I already talked about the play. If you're in L.A., come check out Die, Mommy, Die, which is running through April at the Celebration Theater. And check out my podcast on Feral Audio. It's called, great. Called Thank You. It's called Minor Revelations. And, um, yeah, I'm on the Twitter and all that. And I always put when I'm going to be on TV and all those kind of things up there. So, yeah. Cool. Check it out. Here's some quick plugs for the show before our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter is at Obsessed Podcast. For info on all my upcoming shows and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You will get access to our monthly patron-only bonus episode. For full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. So uh, here are some final questions. They don't have anything to do with your obsession, but they can if you want. Great. If a picture of you became the most viral meme ever created, what would you want to be doing in the picture? Oh, eating a Reuben sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a specific reference or did that just no, come to you I just, organically? No, that's the very first thing I thought of. <laughs> I love Reuben sandwiches and I'd love to find that to be how that could be a famous meme. Yeah. Yeah, I think somehow, some way, yeah. I'm sure it could be a meme. Uh-huh. Uh, have, would you be willing to just put a picture of yourself up on the internet just uh, eating a Reuben sandwich and <laughs> seeing not? if it just takes off? <laughs> just that. like <laughs> No text, no context. No context whatsoever. <laughs> just me eating a Reuben and then just secretly hoping it becomes the most famous yeah. meme. I think that might be the next step in social media because I spend a lot of time on Twitter and I mm-hmm. think jokes are getting more and more like, well, you understand the context. Assuming yeah. that the world does get your sort of little inside joke. So... I, I think that might be the next step where we just put up pictures of ourselves doing weird things and some people assume, oh, I guess I don't know the context of that. So right. I'll just but run isn't with that it. also like so much of that is like in the sort of Japanese culture. They're just they're, 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 there's like this the forward thing of just like this is bizarre. So it's next level. Like, you know, where you're yeah. sort of like looking at something and going, oh, that's so interesting and bizarre. And like it, it's like beyond words. Like it's just and. I mean, I, that's interesting that you would that you would say that because we've gotten so much further from like words and jokes, like like vines are like six seconds long. Like, yeah. what's what's lazier than a vine? <laughs> oh, just a picture of yourself <laughs> doing something weird that you have zero idea what you're saying behind it, and you let other people fill in the jokes. Yeah, you discover why I'm eating the Reuben. Yeah, what does the Reuben mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Next question is: If you could make the whole world sing one song together. What song would you make them sing? I think Love Hangover by Diana Ross, because I love it so much. And I could listen to the beat when it kicks into the fast beat. I could listen to it nonstop. And if everybody was singing it, although what are the lyrics to that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I have no idea. I don't think I know the song. I love it. Can you? Oh, yeah. It's that. It's. um. But don't call the doctor. She sings in the middle of it. But she, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe that's the first thing I came up with, and I can't even tell you the words. But I actually what really like that, that say answer. about me? It's like the meme of me eating it. I'm just... What's the you mystery? You figure it out. You figure like out the, the words. I the idea, though, that the whole world would sing a kick. <laughs> don't call like the doctor. Like a baseline. And then, blah, 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 blah. Call the doctor. Don't well, call. Well, people, I mean, to be fair, Joseph, people talk too much. And if they just hummed and made music, it'd be a lot happier place. <laughs> that is a great segue to my final question, which is, what is happiness? Oh, my God. Yeah. What is happiness? I think it is being able to, like, be by yourself and 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 have peace. 
Okay. You know, I mean, like on a big level, but like when I think of when I'm at my, at my happiest, even when I'm with somebody, it's just that I'm in a place of just such like calm. Right. It's not always joy. It's, it's not always like, you know, laughter, but it's definitely, you know, I think happiness like is, is more about calm and peace than okay. it is about like burst of, of extreme yeah. pleasure because I think those those need to be just bursts those need to be just those need to be separated moments yeah but overall happiness I think is when you can just be at like total peace so almost like a, a feeling of effortlessness mm-hmm. like you just don't have to put any right if you're by uh, yourself uh, or with people thoughtlessness I mean, or, you know when you're with people that you're so comfortable with or when you're by yourself and you're just in a place of like where your, your mind is gone yeah I, I don't think a lot of people I don't know that's a terrible thing. I, I can't imagine what it's like inside anybody else's head. I just know that I'm constantly thinking and I'm not happy about that because I overthink a lot of things. Yeah. And when I'm at my happiest is I'm not really thinking too much. Yeah. I, I don't have to. I totally relate to that. Yeah. I would love to stop thinking. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like those moments where you're just like, I just want to just turn it off. And that's when I can be the at the happiest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sitting here and uh, thinking about things a lot with me. Thank you. I've loved it. It's been great. Awesome. That is our podcast. Yay. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Here's one of my favorite John Waters quotes. I'm glad I got an abortion.